Agriculture. A word that to many means little more than the corn you see on the highway or the broccoli that you may eat with your lunch. But to others here at Michigan State, agriculture represents a harrowing sector of human life that is maintained and upgraded by truly great minds. In recent years, chatter from those that appreciate the necessity agriculture advancement represents to human longevity have turned their attention to one particularly popular taboo topic. Genetically modified organisms, or GMOs, have sneakily grabbed hold of our daily lives, whether in the corn on your plate or the chicken feed given to the livestock every day, GMOs are a dominating force that few really understand. The new and uncharted brings with it a lot of fear, but are the anti-GMO mom groups on Facebook really onto something? Should we be afraid? To talk on the subject, I thought I'd bring along two people that are considerably more knowledgeable than I am on the subject. My name is Dennis Pennington. I'm a wheat extension specialist with Michigan State University. I'm in the plant soil microbial sciences department. I have a 50% research and 50% extension appointment. And along with Dennis, I talked to one of his previous students, my friend Aaron. Hi, all. My name is Aaron. Uh, I'm currently a junior at Michigan State University, uh, and I'm studying agriculture and engineering. Two years I worked at the agronomy farm at MSU, which is focused on agricultural research, largely based around developing new lines of crops that can be sold to farmers to then be planted and raised. I began by asking Dennis what's been going on with agriculture lately, and if he can explain exactly what he does. Sure. So what agricultural research really is all about is identifying problems somewhere in the agriculture sector. And it could be from all the way from production and on the farm to equipment and technology needs or gaps that have been identified all the way through the food processing chain um, and all the way ultimately to the consumer. So as we identify some of these needs and gaps, we try to figure out ways that we can conduct research and use the scientific method to develop a plan and conduct research in a way so that we can generate the knowledge and information needed to guide the development of an industry or fix a problem or solve an issue. And sometimes we hope anyway that, that science can also help guide some policy uh, in terms of, you know, what are the things, the rules and regulations that, that we as an industry and, and, and society have to follow. I wanted to learn more about the science behind what they do and if either person had had any experience with GMOs. What we do is you have two parents, you make a cross, and the progeny of that cross is, is a blend of the DNA from the two parents, hopefully having the DNA code for the traits that you're looking for. And there is kind of a blind shot. You're, you're just mixing up the genes and whatever you get, you get. When, when you can identify specific target genes with genetic code that you're looking for and specifically splice that in, you take all that guessing away um, and, and you know that you're getting the DNA in that, ha that has what you want. But yes, then it's considered to be a genetically modified organism. And then there's a lot of people that believe that there's, it's completely negative, there's nothing good about it, um, but I think they're missing the point as to what are some of the benefits to, to being a GMO. What a GMO is to me, or genetically modified organism, in, in order to understand what that is and what it means, you kind of got to break down the science into its basics uh, first. 
and, and it's based on the premises of DNA. So all living things are made up of DNA. It's the genetic code that makes a tree be a tree and a human be a human and a dog be a dog. And if you think about even the simplest trait like eye color in humans, there's DNA uh, code that determines what the eye color is. Well, when we apply that to plants, um, like doing our wheat research, we're trying to figure out what is the genetic code that will help us improve yield, uh, improve disease resistance, maybe develop uh, resistance to drought or extreme rainfall. Now, sometimes we can identify a particular trait in one organism and we can identify what the, the DNA code is for that. We can actually clip that out of that organism, insert that into a different organism to get the desired trait out of that. That's when you created a genetically modified organism. So you've taken genetic code from one organism, spliced it out of that organism, and you're inserting it into the genome of something different so that you get the desired trait. By and large, the, a lot of the agriculture departments at MSU don't work too much with newer stuff. They only work with like already established, already out in the market, you know, GMO, GMO corn or soybeans, for example, but they aren't really working with anything new. However, over the summer and fall, I'm working at Corteva AgriScience as an intern, and they, they work a lot more with transgenic material and whatnot. And so I, I have been exposed to some of it. But I think it's really cool, like the, the possibilities that exist by utilizing them, because a lot, of the, a lot of problems that are faced in agricultural today and in other sectors in one way or another addressed through GMOs and and through genetic modification and engineering. So I think I'm really excited to see what, what, we, what can be accomplished with that. If both parties speak so highly of GMOs, why have they acquired such a negative connotation? Is there some hidden attribute that could be dangerous? So, so GMOs in terms of getting into our food is a highly regulated process. Uh, so there, there are research protocols and uh, checks and balances in place through our government that are intended to prevent the accidental release of some genetically modified organism that's never intended to make it to the, to the marketplace. So I think as long as research is done carefully, and we have some of the highest caliber researchers at Michigan State University and elsewhere in the country, Michigan State is not the only uh, place where this kind of research is done. Honestly, we can make gains so much faster using genetic technology to, to improve plants and, and animals. And I think the benefits can certainly outweigh the negatives. And the biggest negative that probably will always be there is the unknown. And well, can you tell me for sure that there will not be any negative effects? And well, I can't say that, but I can't find any evidence that says there is either. It's, it's kind of one of them double negatives, and I can't prove something that doesn't exist. In the world of advertising for products, labeling something as non-GMO is used a lot as a, as a method by advertisers and you know, sellers of a product in order to up the value of their price because they might label chicken as hormone-free or something, and, it's, and they'll use that to mark up their product at a higher price than someone than a competitor who doesn't label it as hormone free and it's mainly just a marketing ploy to increase the value of their product because no producer puts hormones in their chicken because 
if it was found out that they did, you know, they'd be shut down and the risk is not worth the reward. It, GMO is largely used as a, as like a buzzword to scare people. So what could GMOs be used for? What might the future of agriculture really look like? Food scarcity is a large problem in, throughout the world, and using GMO, you can increase the yield of, your, of crops in part to address that food scarcity because you're producing more food. It's going to be easier to get food to those who need it or have the food on hand to get to them, hopefully. I think the future of agricultural research, in terms of the plant sciences anyway, we are going to need to identify ways to develop plants that are more resilient to these extremes in climate. Um, and by extremes, I mean either extreme cold, extreme hot, um, flooded conditions, or drought conditions. And we can go from one of those extremes to a different one, all in the same growing season. So we have to figure out a way to help our plants adapt and overcome these extreme challenges or changes um, that are coming. And, and those are getting to be more and more common. The, these extremes happen on what seems to be a more frequent or more regular basis. And, and how do we help plants figure out ways to overcome that? And, and are there genes in desert plants that help them deal with, with extreme dry that we can put into our crops that we're growing now to help them tolerate drought conditions? The global population is increasing and we've got to keep producing more food in order to feed that growing population. You, you've got to use caution and, and be careful with using some of these genetic tools. And so you can't just have everybody out there willy-nilly creating genetically modified organisms with DNA from all sorts of different organisms. It's got to be more regulated than that. But the technology and the tools that we have now today will help us be able to speed through this at a, at much more rapidly than what we ever used to be. And so part of this is educating the public so that they understand what's going on, what are the problems, what are the challenges, how do we address those challenges, um, and make sure that they're on board with this technology and these changes as we go. Because if the, the public doesn't support this, we're doing this all for nothing. Because we have to produce a food product at the end of the day that the consumer will, will eat and feel comfortable eating. We've got to do this education along the way um, so that people understand and can ask questions so that they, they know what happens and, and how their food uh, gets produced and, and gets to their table. To end the conversation, I asked each of them what they found to be most interesting, either in the upcoming future or recent times, in the agriculture sector. One thing that I've seen that is pretty cool is uh, like machine learning in a sense, because for a lot of data collection, it used to be you had uh, we had to go out in a field and walk through all the plots. You know, it's hot out, it's time consuming, you're sweaty, and it all around blows. But with a lot of the recent advances in drone technology and whatnot, we can instead, through computer programming, scan for some of the stuff we have to. We would normally go out and walk, and so now all we have to do is you know sit in the truck and fly the drone, and it does all our data collection for us, and it's actually pretty cool. You know, so one of the things that, that I, I find to be very interesting about the work that I do is looking at the genetic variability in the wheat that we have. Um, most people think about wheat and they think about a field of wheat, you know, with the wheat heads that are golden brown blowing in the wind, you know, it's really pretty and, and it's the heart of America and, and that kind of thing. 
But when you walk through uh, 3,000 different plants that are all genetically different and look at the variability in the plants and the architecture, the color, the stature of the plant, the, the leaf orientation, all the different components of it, it's really remarkable what is out there. That, that's one of the things that's really been interesting to me as I take my journey down this road. Even while having an air of unknown to their name, GMOs are here to stay. We learn more about them and their practicality every day. And if we're careful, the future does look bright with genetic modification right at the forefront. You've been listening to The Undercurrent on WDBM 89FM. I'm Nick Saba, wishing you an excellent day. And in the words of my friend Aaron, Thanks for coming to my TED Talk.